Coming up, Saquon Barkley continues his physical play in training camp for the Giants. A brawl breaks out. The depth chart unofficially is available for us to over-dissect. And what are the level of concerns as the offense continues to have struggles heading towards that Thursday night preseason matchup with the New England Patriots? We dive in next. Oh, hello there, friends. It's OGP, the one giant podcast, where, of course, we are your hosts over here, Adam Armbrecht, breaking down the tumultuous offseason for the Brooklyn Nets on the Locked On Nets podcast with my boy, Doug Norrie, and yonder there, the season generational ticket holder, the healthy, wealthy, and wise Mr. Andrew Makowitz. How are we, sir? Inching closer day by day to seeing the Giants compete against someone else other than themselves. Adam, I'm getting fired up. It, it, it is game week. I know it's preseason, but I'm starting to feel it. Aren't you getting the getting the itch? Aren't Every you getting the itch? Day, it's uh, getting closer, right? The recording contract has not officially dried yet. The ink's not dry on it, and that's why we try to avoid too much of the uh, vocal sample size here. But yes, of course, man. It like it is. This is still Giants training camp, but. And we're going to talk about the depth chart and, and why that's a mixed bag. Maybe highlight a couple of takeaways. I did a live uh, on YouTube yesterday, just really breaking it down way deeper than you probably even need to. But again, as we're going to talk about, some of what we're seeing in training camp continues to have this, this pressure of show me the Giants playing against another football team because everything else is speculative and I need some concrete data that tells me against someone else this is what the offense looks like this is what the defense looks like we'll dive into that here in a minute but first andy uh the quick just injury updates around two well we'll say key players one certainly more pivotal from our standpoint than the other but one down and then one maybe coming back up yeah so the the first one down is um converted tight end andre miller um uh, undrafted out of the university of maine was a wide receiver there had success in college um, you know, actually caught a touchdown pass during fan fest on Friday, a, a little, you know, out route that Daniel Jones kind of rolled out of the pocket started to actually look pretty decent. I mean, we, we talked about the transformation and how it was probably going to be a tough hill to climb to make this roster. Um, but you know, to be honest with you, he's, he's been performing pretty admirably and it's really tough when you hear, um, hat comes down, has a fractured arm, likely going to miss some time. And for someone that's undrafted trying to play catch up, especially at a new position, this is a, a really tough blow for Andre Miller. Yeah, it's funny because we when we had said uphill battle, and then you kind of like over the course of camp, you go, or maybe everything behind Daniel Bellinger is a little bit more wide open than we anticipated. So maybe there was a window there for him, at least to be in the conversation, whether it was going to be on the 53 or practice squad, but make a good impression. He'll get st- set back there a little bit. More importantly is Dane Belton and what his timeline was. We said maybe he could be back for the beginning of the season, but he loses these reps. We at least get more positive news around him. Yeah, so Dane Belton, obviously, um, collarbone issue. We, we were very upset last week. We, we thought it could, you know, we expected the worst. We thought he could go on the pup list and maybe miss the first four games. Then Jordan Renan and others said maybe the Giants think he could be ready by, by opening weekend, which was exciting. Now you have news that he has removed the sling that they put him in, which is always a good sign for, um, you know, shoulder injuries and collarbone injuries. You got to think that all this stuff is positive news. If we start hearing that he's doing cardio and running and, and, and kind of getting some exercise in, that may put him on track to still be available week one, Adam, which would be exciting for everyone. 
Yeah, and I think like there's no pressure, as we say, for a young player. Like he doesn't have to get out there week one. But if you hear he's starting to get into his reps, maybe a week out, right? That practice leading up to week one, it just means rather than maybe week four, it can be week two, right? So the sooner the better, as we talk about. We'll look at that depth chart, and obviously having him in the mix there is we think an important component of of the secondary and the back end of that defense having some success. So keep an eye on that. So, Adam, the one thing yeah. I was going to mention about the Dane Belton thing is if he sure. does, if this is just a, a minor like hairline fracture and he's able to come back uh, relatively soon and be ready for week one, you got to think that um, it almost worked out well for the Giants because you've seen the spotlight come into Yusuf Corker. You've heard that he actually had the green dot, which he was calling the defense behind Xavier McKinney with the twos. He's getting a lot of this experience that maybe would have gone to Dane Belton otherwise. And so that's got to feel encouraging for the Giants to know people are talking up Yusuf Corker. They were excited about Dane Belton. We had question marks at the safety position. It feels like if those two are going to be contributors, along with Julian Love and Xavier McKinney, the Giants maybe don't have as much concern around the end of that secondary. Yeah, and this is what we talked about just on that note around, oh, should the Giants go out and get guys? And I've been pretty consistent with the idea of no, like I want to see Yusuf Corker get a real opportunity here. And if he can showcase that in the absence of Dane Belton, to your point, well, now you feel in the long term, if it, if Yusuf Corker can at least showcase that he's capable of being that contributor back there, him, Xavier McKinney and Dane Belton, like that to me is the future. And it's not, I'm not knocking Julian Love and what he is in the short term, but I think the better that Yusuf Corker looks is the less you're worried about what Julian Love is doing, how much he's being relied upon, whether he has a nice role now, whether he maybe has a leadership role now. But if he has a good, let's say he has a good year, right? And he's up for for making some more money. You'd rather it be the case. And who knows, even in season, where there's some flexibility around what you can do to maximize the value for the Giants as an organization going to next offseason, flexibility, draft capital, et cetera. That being the case, though, yesterday, so here, there's, there's two parts to this. I want to start with the one thing. Um, a little bit of a brawl broke out, but there seemed to be this, like there was this weird moment. And I don't think like you posted it on, on Twitter. I don't think you meant it this way, but when it was like, Oh, it just felt like Saquon Barkley having another good practice, having a really strong training camp gets through the hole, looks up, doesn't really realize that Aaron Robinson is right there and just kind of bowls over him as in couldn't have pulled up from it. I, before we get into the, the aftermath, I took no issue with it though. Like I get it. It's physical play. And sometimes this stuff spills over and I'm, I'm eight days a week. I'm going to take Saquon Barkley walking in the door and blowing somebody up and saying, Hey, listen, my bad on the back end of it guy, but I'd rather see that than so much of what we've seen from Saquon. The one area that we always talk about his game is stop it with that tap dancing, man, get North and South, make the commitment and be a powerful running back because you do have that capacity in you. That was a big showcase for it. Tragically, it came at the cost of Aaron Robinson getting flatbacked. Well, so the reason why I posted that is actually it, it, it's opposite of what people think. Everyone has been posting this video of like, look at Saquon Barkley, truck sticking, knocking flat out Aaron Robinson, etc. And the reason why I posted like, no, he didn't really have a choice was because that was the most physicality that any player had during the practice. They were they were like kind of laying up, making sure not to hit people hard. Saquon Barkley hit Aaron Robinson pretty hard. But what I'm saying is I don't think like from the, from the viewpoint of like he's running fast through the middle, he's making a couple cuts. When he looks up, Aaron Robinson is in front of him and instinctually as a running back, you lower your shoulder so that you don't get laid out in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so that ended up starting, you know, the, the chippiness in Giants training camp, which created 
a little bit of a brawl, Adam. And I, I, I thought it was noteworthy to say, I don't think Saquon Barkley was kicking it up a notch intentionally saying, I'm going to knock Aaron Robinson over. Now, it looked great, and Giant fans got to be excited. I think it was more he's protecting himself from getting destroyed, forgetting that, like, no one's really tackling anyone in these practices. Um, I think I'd rather it be that he intentionally laid him out. Like, I, cause oh, if it's, no, I know, I know. Like, I know. You know what I mean? Like, I, that, I prefer it to be that case. Like, I know I know what you mean because it is like the instincts take over. But, like, I, I want it to be. Came through the hole, got met at the point of attack by, by a DB, and he, and he just laid some wood because he's trying to get better and he's trying to get stronger. And, by the way, when you come to that wrap-up moment, if he had leaned into it and Aaron Robinson held on and, you know, wrestled him down to the ground as he took the blow, I'd be talking just as positively about Aaron Robinson. And who knows, right? This brawl we're going to get to here in a second ends up breaking out of practice. Be like, maybe that makes it chippy. And Saquon is, is you know, what, what are you pulling me down for? Like, hey, listen, you leaned into me, right? Like, you need to see that for an offensive side of the ball. We'll get into a little bit more here in a second. That's not necessarily look crisp or physical or capable to stand up to the task that Wink Martindale's defense is setting for them. Um, This brawl, though, breaks out. I'm also down with this. It always happens every single camp. Only thing I'm not so down about is an offensive line coach getting involved and physically grabbing players. Like this has, and a lot of people said this, we're not going to over-exaggerate or overstate it, but this has all the vibes of a Joe Judge coaching staff where you're like, what the heck is going on out here? Like that's the only part of this I don't like is for some reason Bobby Johnson being like, maybe I should be involved in this. Yeah, so, you know, John Feliciano, who has called himself a dirtbag, I think he likes he thinks that's an endearing phrase. Everyone talks about him this way. He's someone that likes to mix it up. We basically got rid of Will Hernandez and brought in John Feliciano as as the interior guy that's kind of like the pest, the, the nuisance that uh, likes to get under people's skin. Obviously, there's a little bit of a, of a, you know, kerfuffle in the middle of things. I think it was Cam Brown that pulled out John Feliciano. Yes, the, the, the photo of, of John Feliciano looking like a dead fish getting pulled out of the pile by Cam Brown. I thought that was kind of funny, and I thought that's where it would end. And then, obviously, like, Bobby Johnson kind of comes in afterwards and, and, and shoves Cam Brown, I believe it was. And, right. and all of a sudden, all heck breaks loose. And to your point, Adam, the players are going to get fired up. There's a lot of energy going on there. Like, the coaches just got to kind of stay out of the fray, right? Like, that all works itself out. You clearly don't want punches being thrown more because you don't want someone to break their hand on a helmet. Like that's the only and, thing and, that and, came and to Feliciano my mind. hit Cam Brown in the helmet. Like the classic, the classic idiot move, right? Right. Like dirtbag, great. You want, I want to physical play. I want some edge to my guys. I also don't want idiots. And I, oh, and there's never a time. I don't care who's what's on the football. It's on against the opponent. Or otherwise, when I see a guy punch somebody in the helmet, I'm like, man, that is like the lowest common denominator move that makes zero sense. And I get emotions get behind them. It's like, what? it's a helmet. It's right. a helmet. You and and it, and if if Feliciano would come away with real issues from that, I'd be looking at him with such disgust in already a camp where not maybe not his own fault, but we know, right? It gets the dehydration and that takes a while to come back. I'd be like, buddy, you are just stacking things that do not look great in your corner. And just to your point uh, quickly on Cam Brown, it's good. You're a guy fighting for a roster spot. You're trying to make a case for yourself. You've been on special teams. You want to be on the defensive side of the ball. Okay, you get a little extra physical with Feliciano. That's fine. Coaching staff is going to blow the whistles. They're going to hoot and holler, break it up, whatever. No one is going to overdo it. Usually there's cooler heads on both sides of the ball that separate the guys that are really getting after one another. Let that work itself out. It's just that, yeah, that piece where the coach is in the melee and, and actually escalating it, you're like, eh, I don't know about it. Who knows, though? From an offensive perspective, I don't like it, but I will say it's like this is Bobby Johnson being like, we haven't been looking so good over here, right? Like, we haven't, we haven't been looking so sharp here. Let's try to dial ourselves up a little bit. Well, Adam, to that point, 
this was kind of brewing for a while because all of the different things at a training camp over the last eight, nine, 10 days is that the defense is far ahead of the right. offense right now. Right. And so like when you constantly hear the defense is dominating and Kayvon Thibodeau is in the backfield all the time and, and they're yelling and screaming and they're talking all the trash about how, how that you can't beat them. You can't do anything. Right. Cornerbacks are playing up against Kenny Galladay and, and saying, we know you can't beat me deep. So I'm going to press cover you. Like, they're talking a whole lot about <laughs> Kenny how much better saying, they are. I know I, I I can't beat you deep. Could you back off a little bit here? I'm trying to try to work through yeah, some things. Try to get some reps going here, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. but but Adam, you get it. So like when one side is dominating the other, the way that it, the reports have been at a camp, uh, you expect this to boil over. And also, yesterday just was not a good practice for the offense. And nope. we know that they, they've struggled during this camp, Adam. But everyone comes away saying, "Oh no no no!" Yesterday was far and away the worst. And I'm like. Man, they've said that twice already. That this previous one was the worst. Now this is the worst. And no, 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 no. Like, I, I don't know. Was was yesterday rock bottom for for how the offense has looked so far in camp? Yeah, and this is the weird part about the balancing act, right? Because the offense has kind of had this roller coaster up and down, trying to figure things out. And you, and you, we always assume you said defense is always ahead of the offense, and defense, especially in camp and in practice, it, it's it can be so much more predicated on instinct on instinctual play, right? Beat the guy in front of you. We talk about one-on-one drills. Well, that doesn't favor the offensive line. These one-on-one matchups, so it's going to make it look bad. But then when you talk about getting into the into the full team drills, it's just I I don't know how you can be feeling confident. And we keep building towards this Thursday night game. I I don't know where I'm supposed to land on this. And we said it before, especially on Daniel Jones going five for fifteen. I don't care what Brian Dable is is communicating around, well, it's situational football. We put him in third and longs. We put him in whatever. Whatever the scenario is, even if it was we put him in third and long to be at a disadvantage, well, 5 of 15 would still be really bad if you're talking about that's how you looked over a 15 sample size, rep, rep sample size on a third and long situation. So, yeah, you can tell me that you're putting them at a disadvantage to try to see them play better and to get these reps in specific types of opportunities, and they've mostly not looked so good. <laughs> yeah, uh, agreed. And and this is it. It not each one of these reports. The single report of a bad day of camp is not the thing that's concerning to me. Obviously, they're installing a whole new offense with a new offensive coordinator, head coach, a quarterback coach. Everything, everything is brand new to Daniel Jones, and he hasn't had the compliment of Galladay, Barkley, Tony in, inserting Wandell Robinson in. It's a new tight end. There's a whole new offensive line. Literally, new players, new coaches, new scheme, new everything. It will take time. But I will say, Adam. There are certain camps where it feels like this news is getting out for a reason. You look at Washington. They're like, Carson Wentz can't keep turning the ball over the way that he is. He's very inaccurate. Things are not looking good in Washington. You look at the Patriots. They're like, Mac Jones looks lost and confused because they don't have an offensive coach. They have a bunch of defensive coaches. The Giants are saying, you know, Daniel Jones looks like he's not grasping things. The offense is way far behind. Like, those are all bad signs that, like, local beat writers and media reports are coming out that way. You go over to, to Chicago where the front office has been a mess. All you hear is how amazing Justin Fields is looking right now. And so it is concerning that like every single day, there's more reports that come out about Daniel Jones. How concerned are you leading into Thursday night where we actually see us against other competition? Yeah, I want the Thursday night competition to get a bit of a sample size on it, right? Because Daniel Jones and the offense can come out and look crisp for five to seven plays or 10 plays, however many reps he gets out there, and it will alleviate some of it. And then you'll come back to it and say, okay, you're trying to find a way to, to put him in difficult spots during the week. 
to give them opportunities to play crisp and fast and clean and smart football when it comes to going up against the opposition. So I, I, my concern level is relatively low, but as you and I have talked about time and time again across this offseason, like if you asked, if we asked each other right now, how do you feel about Daniel Jones coming into this offseason? You would say you think he has every opportunity to be the franchise quarterback. I think you can confirm that where I would say like I lean on, I think it's already over. Right. And it doesn't mean that I have, you know, a thousand percent conviction on it, but that's, if you told me, I'd say what happened to this year, they move on from Daniel Jones. They draft a new franchise quarterback and you would be on the, on the side of, I think he shows enough and they can go ahead and bring him back on the tag or et cetera, and continue to keep him around a little bit longer. So my expectations coming into this off season and into this season are not, Daniel Jones, top 12 quarterback, right? It's can Daniel Jones just showcase that he's capable of grasping a new system and start to put together positive reps. We preseason game one, 12, 13 practices into a new system. I'm not going to set some bar that he has to reach, but preseason game number two and you know, number three and later in August. Yeah, it's going to start that, that, that pressure is going to mount. If we don't start to see the offense turning a corner and specifically Daniel Jones. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I still think that there is an opportunity for Daniel Jones. I'm not going to freak out over players getting together for just over, not even a fortnight, Adam. It hasn't even been a fortnight that they've been together. And, and yet Love here we are, references. you know, ev everyone basically saying, uh, you know, let, let's jettison Daniel Jones. I think let's give them time. This is why you try things in camp. This is why you need to progressively get better. Obviously going 5 of 16 with two interceptions during the offensive drills is not what we want to be hearing. A hundred percent. One thing I want to sidebar here. I, I had talked about the, um, the depth chart and I just wanted to get your takeaway and just, you know, one overall, Hey, this jumped out at me. I'm intrigued by this going into preseason game. Number one here. However, you mentioned the Chicago bears and I just wanted to throw out there that Roquan Smith put out a statement to the Chicago bears fan base, basically saying I've officially requested a trade from the bears uh, they have not operated in good faith around contract negotiations. They've given me a take it or leave it scenario. Maybe the fa ownership family gets involved and it all gets cleaned up, but I'm sorry to the Chicago fan base because I really want to be a part of it. Just on the surface of if he was on the market, do you, would you as a, as a giant, would you say, Hey, the Giants should be more than willing to look at a player who has one year left on his contract, open up a lot of money next year. He's 25 years old. I think it's $9 million on the book this year. Hey, you want Kenny Galladay, I'll get, you know, a, a Kenny Galladay, a Blake Martinez, and, you know, maybe some draft capital to get a player like that into the building, knowing what he could mean going forward for the Giants? So the short answer is no. And it has nothing to do with Roquan Smith himself because I really like him. He is an unbelievable Who player, right? I mean, come on, <laughs> a 25 year old all pro linebacker that yeah. like is, is well liked by his, by his team. Uh, funny story. I actually got uh, Roquan Smith to do a cameo for someone that I work with. So personable guy, really exciting and electric. I would love him Very to nice. be on the Giants. I would literally love him to be on the Giants. Problem is like, I'm, yes. Okay. If you're saying we could get rid of Kenny Galladay's contract, and we could give them Blake Martinez, who's on the last year of his deal coming off an injury and maybe throw a mid round pick in. Yeah. I would sign up for that tomorrow, but the real, the, the realistic measures on that, it, 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 that's not what it's going to go for. And it's twofold for the Giants. One is they would have to give up significant draft capital to get him. He is a first round pick and then some when you're thinking about trading for him. And the second thing, Adam, is he's not going to play on the $9 million that he's on. That's why he's writing to the owners of the Bears saying, of course. I wish I could stay here, but you're not you know, allowing me to. He does not want to take another snap of actual football until he's got his bag secured, right? And so what we're saying is trade a bunch of, 
draft picks that we're going to need to build up this roster and then rework a deal for Roquan Smith and pay him $18 million a year, $19 million a year. And we just don't have that cap money this year. So like for me, it's, it's the combination of we need young, cheap talent, which is what our draft picks do. And we don't have that much cap space to be giving another guy 15 to $20 million a year. Now, just to be clear, and I, and I agree with you, I think it, I, I think these things are always worth exploring when it's a young talent like that. Um, uh, uh, Kenny Galladay, say you put him into the package where the Giants would only have 3.4 in dead cap and open up $17.75 million in cap savings in a post-June 1 trade. So like that by itself right there, from a money standpoint, you could open up that cap room right now in this moment if you wanted to execute a trade like this. I think it does come down to what is the asking price going to be? And just on that standpoint alone, too, you mentioned about the draft capital. Um, what, what would be your line in the sand? It, let's say, hey, it's, it's out there. You can go get him. You mentioned you need to build up this roster. But if you could go get Smith and plug him in and to be the anchor of your defensive front, we obviously know the talent he is. By the way, his his stat lines around total combined tackles, 121, 101, 139, and 163 uh, in 2021, just in terms of what this guy is as from a machine standpoint there inside of that defense, um, would would – would two first round picks, would that be, you know, it's like, would that be too much? You know, would you say, well, I'll, I'll give you a pick, maybe, you know, some pick swap opportunities, depending on where things lay out. What would be your, Hey, yeah, he's a talent, but I can't afford to over invest two or three, you know, assets going forward. Well, th- the biggest challenge is more, what are the giants going to be this year? If, if you're saying we'll give you next year's first round draft pick for Roquan that's the Smith, big, that's the big ask. Yeah. The, the, the challenge is if the giants end up bottoming out and Daniel Jones, isn't the guy you're talking about a top five pick in the draft. And like, while Roquan Smith will be great, you're going to be paying him $20 million a year for the next five years. Right. Whereas if you just stood Pat and Daniel Jones, isn't the guy or this team is developing, you can take that top five pick and have four or five years of team control at a similar position of need. And that's about, and that's why more than anything it's Daniel Jones, right? It's it's the uncertainty around Daniel Jones that makes it hard to make a commitment like this. If you think that Daniel Jones is capable of being the guy for you, then it's hey, okay, we're we're doing it a year too soon. Well, we already have the quarterback and we're going to pay him next year. Now we bring in a young stud to anchor on this defense with Thibodeau and with Leonard Williams and with Dexter Lawrence and with Aziz Ojolari, right? And everything else. All of a sudden, this defense becomes, you know, you can really start to even just on paper say, yeah, this is why they look so dominant in camp because all these weapons there. But without that box being checked, it makes it really hard to commit to something like that, knowing are we about to send a top 10 pick to the Chicago bears next year, which is where, uh, you know, uh, Smith was drafted when he came out eighth overall, but that that's the problem. Is right. If, if you if tell me it's just a 22nd pick in the first round. Okay. Right. Like we, we sneak into the playoffs. It's mid twenties. Great. If, if you're not the, though, if, if you're the chargers with Justin Herbert and you expect yes, to be ascending yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're going to yeah. have a, a back back of the first round draft pick. Yes, you go get someone like yeah. Rogan Smith. That's why they went and got Khalil Mack. It's just based on the timeline and the quarterback play and the uncertainty the Giants have, you can't afford to give up a potential top five pick for a guy you're going to have to pay 20 something million dollars a year to. Always fun to have the conversation, though. I like Agreed. to agree. Let's go into, though, the depth chart then, as we said. I, I had the, the deep dive into this conversation. Just what jumped out to you when you look at this initially? And remember, this unofficial depth chart for the New York football Giants, this is really about Thursday night. This isn't about where the team is as a whole. This is the depth chart that they're setting for their first preseason game. What was, honestly, the biggest? It can be as, you know, 
singular player or just overall, what was the biggest thing that jumped out to you? So I have a couple of mini ones and you could tell me which one was most interesting to you. The first is we know the tight end room. We're, I'm not really surprised that Daniel Bellinger is the number one. What I am surprised about is Jordan Akins is the, is the fourth on the depth chart. And he's yeah. like one of the few veterans we have Ricky seals Jones, who's injured. So he's not there. So it was surprising to me to see Jordan Akins as a veteran being fourth. They're like, no, 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 this is Bellinger's job. And we're going to see who who's behind him. So that I thought that was the first thing that was interesting. Um, the second thing is I've been talking. Yeah, about, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, uh, the second thing was I've been talking about Rodarius Williams quite a bit and how I want to see him perform well. And I think he has every opportunity to he's listed as the number two, you know, the, the with the twos, you know, behind both outside cornerback positions. And so the Giants are thinking very similar to me. He's been out with an injury and they still have the confidence to put him out there and say, Hey, if a Dory Jackson were to go down, we're putting Rodarius Williams out there. He's best suited to play that outside cornerback position. Yeah. So and this is what I think creates this global view around the depth chart. So it's like the tight end position. It's interesting because Ricky Seals Jones veteran has had the injury. So then if you think about Aikens and you go, well, what do we want to make sure let's safeguard against losing our other veteran here. So if we're thinking about coming into the specific Thursday night game, that's why you see uh, Myrick being up there as second on the depth chart. Do I think that he is the second best tight end on this roster? Not by a long shot, but where are all the reps going to go? Hey, Let's save our other veteran here just in case. Because even if you went to the season and Ricky Seals-Jones, his injury ended up being a nine-week injury, right? And he was gone. You'd still want to have, I think, the veteran there to go with Daniel Bellinger, at least potentially. And maybe Miller was starting to show something. Now he has his injury. So that, to me, looks like safeguarding against the veterans going down. The Bellinger piece is, hey, this guy has earned it. He's going to be the starter for this team. Like That, I think, is cut and dry. And you will you can confirm that by how many reps does he get when he's out there with the first team. If they pull him off around the same timeline as some of the bigger names on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, when you mention it, it's twofold. I think it's good for Rodarius Williams and also, because you mentioned the depth piece, Adore Jackson, Rodarius Williams, Darren Evans is the next running back on the, uh, uh, sorry, cornerback on the outside behind Adoree Jackson. On the other side of the field, Aaron Robinson, Radarius Williams, Zion Gilbert. There isn't a lot of other options to put out there. I think it gives Radarius Williams every opportunity because he can get big reps potentially to showcase what he's capable of. But it does kind of, if you pull back, you go, okay, if Radarius Williams can show that he can be the backup, we can start to get further away from the Giants going to market and who's getting cut around the league. But if not, then I think you do see a little bit of desperation here for the Giants because what is the expectation around who is going to step up behind the your two starting cornerbacks, one of which in Aaron Robinson is someone that still has a little bit of mystery around where the quality of his play is going to be. I, I do agree. That is a little bit like, wow, look at how thin it is if Rodarius Williams is there. And it's not because of Rodarius Williams. It's what's behind him. You're like, oh, yeah. these are all undrafted free agent guys that we've picked up. Um, you know, most of, most of them from LSU actually. So I, I agree yeah. with you. you. You see Cordell Flott, another LSU guy, um, actually behind, uh, uh, uh Darnay Holmes in yeah. the, in the nickel position. So that we were right to think that he is going to play that nickel slot to start, but that's not to say that he can't grow into one of these other roles or trial by fire later. Yeah, I'm fascinated by that because only listed there, not listed on the outside at all. So that's one to watch over the course of camp. As it stands right now, though, you look at it and say, that's where he is playing. 
going to develop, has to get bigger, has to add some muscle, right? But it's going to be on the inside at that nickel corner slot position. And Darnay Holmes, who had a really strong camp, is ahead of him. That all makes sense. The last thing that I think I'll point to, and I talked about this yesterday a little bit, and the overall, again, sentiment, I think the balance that you're doing on a week-to-week preseason basis is you're setting it up to safeguard against the guys you know are locked in as starters and then also provide opportunities for guys to maximize the reps behind them. There's two footnotes here. The one on the offensive side of the ball, and I said this yesterday, but it's worth, it bears repeating, Zudu only listed on the depth chart behind left tackle and left guard. So it looks like, at least on paper going in here, that they're trying to compartmentalize where his reps are going to come and where he can either be the depth piece or be pushing for a role. See how that fleshes out over the rest of the preseason. But that was interesting to me, right? Swing tackle, maybe that's off the board here, and they don't want it to be doing both sides, but it can be similar if you keep him on just the left side of the line. The other one for me, though, was, and I think it is. this is a worthy footnote, when you look at the wide receiver position, the two notes were to me, um, we've liked what Richie James has done. He's listed on the inside at the slot position as depth behind Wandell Robinson. Darius Slayton is on the outside behind uh, Kenny Galladay and behind Kadarius Tony. So I think you're going to see him get big reps here. Doesn't mean they're confident in what he's done in camp, but big rep opportunity to showcase in game action that he's capable of being that depth piece. And the second component is that if you're thinking about the competition there, CJ Board is listed as the lead man on both punt returns and kickoff returns. Darius Slayton is behind him. Richie James is listed third on kickoffs, not listed on punt returns. I, I, the hierarchy is starting to flesh out here. Richie James has elevated himself, so you probably want to protect, potentially, against any injury risk on special teams. CJ Board is maybe cementing himself. So now you look at Colin Johnson and David Sills. That's the next group of guys. I said yesterday, uh, Doss is a guy that I'm going to be interested to see when his reps come up. Is anybody else pushing up that board there and saying, maybe we can challenge Darius Slayton? Otherwise, at least right now, this first preseason game is Darius Slayton's opportunity to say, maybe it hasn't looked perfect in camp, but game day, like I, I am still one of your best options here to be in behind Kenny Galladay, in behind Kadarius Tony. Yeah, the, you took the words right out of my mouth in terms of the the next most important thing on the depth chart. As we've talked about, this is the first unofficial one. We haven't even gotten into preseason, so you don't want to take too much out of it. But I will say, at the end of the day, seeing Darius Slayton as the number two in both punt and kick return is basically, I, I think it's the Giants saying, Hey, we want to give you every opportunity to make this roster, Darius. We're going, we're going to put you out there, see if you could showcase yourself. If you break a 40-yard punt or kick return, or or you know, you're running with the twos, you know, in the outside wide position, you catch a big deep ball. Like, we're gonna give you every opportunity to showcase this. It's gonna be one of those other guys, like a CJ Board, a Colin Johnson, even a Richie James, that's gonna have to take this away from you because you have you have it in front of you. And so I think that they are encouraging him to make this roster, which is good for Darius Slayton. And honestly, I think if he doesn't make it, it's because someone beat him out at this point. And one last footnote that just came to mind about this, and maybe it won't happen in the first preseason game. Maybe it'll happen in game number two. But when we talk about Kenny Galladay not looking so crisp and noting that when he has days off, he comes back and looks really strong. I do wonder if there's a scenario of, hey, Darius Slayton, if you have a little bit of value in being the guy that can spell Kenny Galladay for some reps, you have a little bit of special teams value, you have a little bit of rep spelling value, right? You're not going to be the, the true number you know, two, number three, number four, whatever. But if you can have some across the roster value for this team. I think to your point, the Giants would prefer for him to be good enough to make this roster this year and then worry about it next offseason. If he doesn't make it, 
no, no matter who seems to show up, it just opens up one more question mark here in behind the depth piece at a position that already has some real curiosities with Kenny Galladay. The only things we feel confident about right now would be Wandale Robinson and Kadarius Toney. That's not enough in today's NFL to be a real dangerous threat for Daniel Jones on the offensive side. Agreed. We've got two two more practices, two more days until Thursday night against the Patriots. We see how they're lining up, what the reps are going to look like. I think that's why they reached on an unofficial depth chart, so you know who's likely to be out there on Thursday. We've got two more days to tighten this up, button this up, and make sure that we're not going 5 of 15 in the real reps on Thursday night. You better believe it, friends. Get over to YouTube, like, subscribe, get onto the podcast feed where we get those needs fulfilled. We're going to be trying to do nothing confirmed around Thursday night football, a little bit different setup, get some of that live reaction right after the post game. So be sure to stay tuned for that. In the meantime, as Andy Mackowitz would want, need, and may demand the people know. As always, let's go big blue. Thank <laughs> you.